If you're new to Living Hope, or maybe you haven't been here in the last several weeks, let me briefly catch you up on what we have been doing. Uh, In the month of January, we are going through just a short series uh, that we are calling Let's Get Started. Uh, And the the impetus behind this series is that for beginning this new year, we as a church want to help cultivate some habits in our lives that grow us more into the likeness of Jesus. And and so over the last two weeks, uh, Gib has taught on and talked about prayer or praying and giving and how those spiritual disciplines form us. And today we're going to look at the discipline of meditating. And this discipline of meditating, it's tied up with, and I believe has to be connected to the word of God in the scriptures. I would argue that in a sense, this is the foundational discipline that really fuels all the other ones because it is through the word of God that we come to know who God is so that we can then go and pray to him. It is through the word of God that we come to understand the gospel that motivates and gives life to our giving and why we want to give. And every discipline of the Christian life ultimately comes back to and finds its foundation in the word of God where he is revealed to us. Today, as we look at Psalm 19, we are going to see why the word is so valuable for us and why we should slow our hearts and our minds down to explore its depths. When we talk about meditating on the scriptures, we don't have in mind what uh, a lot of religions do or a lot of spirituality does, which normally when people think of meditation, meditating on things, they think of actually emptying their minds so they can just kind of be in this space. But in Christian meditation, the opposite is actually true. We want to fill our minds in meditating on the word of God and the things of God so that we can, as author Richard Foster says, think the thoughts of God after him. And so we want to be filled with the scriptures. And the reason is because I believe of what the, uh, the writer of Psalm 19, David, shows us about the beauty of God's word for us. So let's start. We'll just read all of Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the expanse proclaims the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour out speech. Night after night, they communicate knowledge. There is no speech. There are no words. Their voice is not heard. Their message has gone out to the whole earth and the words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, he has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming from his home. It rejoices like an athlete running a course. It rises from one end of the heavens and circles to their other end. Nothing is hidden from its heat. The instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. The precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. The command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinance of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. They are more desirable than gold, than an abundance of pure gold, and sweeter than honey dripping from a honeycomb. In addition, your servant is warned by them, and in keeping them, there is an abundant reward. Who perceives his unintentional sin? Cleanse me from my hidden faults. Moreover, keep your servant from willful sins. Do not let them rule me. Then I will be blameless and cleansed from blatant rebellion. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is the word of the Lord. So over my life, I've had the opportunity to live in several different places, not as many as some, but um, just been exposed to different places and some different cultures. Now, I've lived primarily in the 
the South, um, but I grew up in Nashville. I went to college in a small town in Arkansas. I got to keep it weird in Austin, Texas, and in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, I've spent time in West Texas, which if you've never been there, is a culture unto itself, right? And, and now here, and, and all, in all of my scientific research and all the places that I've lived, I have figured out you can break people down into one of two categories. You're either a beach person or a mountain person, right? Meaning wherever you want to go to unplug or unwind, you're either going to want to go to the beach or you're going to want to go to the mountains. Now, I would tell you in my sanctified opinion that you are either a beach person or you're wrong, but either way... This is where people fall into those categories. But I do believe there's a commonality even between both of those things. Whether you go to the beach or whether you go to the mountain, there's something about those that cause us to see grandeur and splendor unlike anything that we can get here in the lovely confines of the Mid-South. Right? Like nobody goes and stands on the beach and looks out over the ocean and thinks to themselves, I'm amazing. You don't go to the foot of the Rocky Mountains, look up and think, I am actually, I'm pretty awesome at this stuff. There is something about exposing ourselves to grandeur and splendor that is innate in us. We desire to be around things that are greater than us. I don't have a good story of a time I met a celebrity that I can remember, but if you ever have or you know someone who has been around a celebrity or met them, inevitably, like, you want to tell that story. They want to tell that story. Why? Because there's something in us that desires to be connected to things that are more grand and great than we are. And I would contend with you that that's why reading and meditating on the scriptures is so necessary in our lives. Because the scriptures connect us to something greater than ourselves. And that connection is actually what brings change for us. Pastor John Piper says something similar when he writes this. He says, we are all starved for the glory of God, not self. No one goes to the Grand Canyon to increase self-esteem. There is greater healing for the soul in beholding the splendor than there is in beholding self. There's greater healing for our soul in beholding God than there is in anything else. And one of the primary ways that we do this is by reading and meditating on the scriptures. And that happens in our lives. We are exposed to the greatness and the grandeur of who God is because of what David writes here in the psalm. This psalm is pretty easily broken down into three sections. There's verses 1 through 6 that talk about the world. There's verses 7 through 11 that focus primarily on the word of God. And then there's verses 12 through 14 that talk about how the, the word of God works itself out in our lives and our, our walk. And so we're just going to take those three sections, our world, his word, and our walk. The opening line of the psalm is we get to our world, and it tells us the heavens declare the glory of God. In other words, the world around us displays that greatness that we just talked about that we are all longing for. And what, it's an interesting way that God works, right? That in this week, we had the opportunity to see that, right? Because on Monday and Tuesday, before we were all tired of the snow, it was amazing to look out and to see just the white that blanketed everything. It displays to us just this beauty and this greatness. But we don't have to have inches of snow to see that, right? You can see it in the sunrise when it comes up in the mornings. You see it in the way that birds fly or do these things, right? The, 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 the creation, it displays this. And I think it reveals two things about God. It reveals his otherness and his goodness. Our world reveals God's otherness and his goodness. And those two revelations, they're important for us to know. 
I mean, the created order reveals that God is other than us. Right? There is nothing that we can create or make that displays glory the way God's creation displays his. Almost every one of us this week, you took a picture of that beautiful white snow that was out there and posted it on some kind of social media platform, right? But, but even in looking at it, you might have said something like this, like, this doesn't capture how beautiful it is because we can't create anything that captures the beauty and the grandeur of God's creation because he is so other than we are. It demonstrates his goodness to us because we get to experience these things. There are a few things in the world that are more calming and lovely to me than standing on the beach and hearing the waves just crash into the shore. I don't know how you can be stressed out doing that. For, for some of us, there, right, there's nothing more majestic than looking out over the peaks of mountains and just standing in awe and going, look at this. Look at what we get to have and behold. It reveals his otherness, but it also reveals his goodness. And the beautiful part about God's world is it reveals it to everyone. Our, our world reveals God to everyone. That's what the psalmist tells us. David writes, he says, their message in verse four has gone out to the whole earth and their words to the ends of the world. He talks about the sun. We see it from the perspective of the sun rising and setting. But as our sun sets, it is rising somewhere else. There's never a moment where the sun is not in some way, shape or form shining on our world. It's revealed to everyone. God's otherness and his goodness Everyone gets to see it. And, so, and Paul writes in Romans 1, he comes to the conclusion that because God's otherness, God's goodness, this part of who he is is revealed in creation, that we are all then held accountable to God. But that revelation of God, just his otherness and his goodness, it's not enough. Because there's way more to God than just those two things. And so God didn't leave us with just a creation. God gave us his word. And that's where David turns his attention and where we're going to focus most of our time is there in verses 7 through 11. He turns his attention to the word of God. And the first thing that we notice about the word of God is that it is personal. Commentator Derek Kidner, he notes or points out that in the first part of the psalm, there are verses 1 through 6, the least specific term for God is used. It's the name El, and it happens one time in verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. But in verse 7, when he turns to talk about God's word, he doesn't use the name El. Instead, he uses the covenant, the personal, the revealed name of God. He uses the name Yahweh. You know it in your Bibles when it's the word Lord in all caps. And he starts to talk about the Lord, and he uses it seven different times to talk about the word of God and the way the Lord reveals himself in it. So in the world, God reveals himself to everyone, but in his word, he wants to get to personal with us. It's the covenant name of God demonstrating he wants a relationship with us, and that relationship comes as we know him through his word. And the way he describes his word in verses 7 through 11 is, um, is awe-inspiring. He actually uses seven different words to describe the word of God or the scriptures. And he says that they are, what is it, perfect, trustworthy, right, radiant, pure, reliable, and righteous. This is what the word of the Lord is. And, and you can just kind of see that he's just spiraling upward and upward talking about it to try and get into the scope of how magnificent the word of God is. And we could take 
seven weeks and go through each one of those things and how they play themselves out. But, but taken all together, I think what they reveal to us is that the word of God is, is personal, but it's also sufficient. It shows us that what we need to know about God, what we need from him for this life is found in his word. We know that increasingly in our world and society, it is getting more and more complicated. There's confusion about sex and gender, the definition of marriage. How do we handle technology? What do we do with AI? What's permissible? What's not? How do we navigate politics? What do we do with the rising costs of everything, right? There's, there's a complication to everything in our world. It can feel overwhelming to us. And we can tend to forget that God has given us everything we need to have peace and to find sufficiency in this world. I have not studied every culture across all time and all history, but I have learned enough to know this, that no matter the culture, no matter the history, all the way back to Genesis 3, you can guarantee there's one commonality between every culture and every society that's ever existed. In every culture and in every society, humanity wants to set up his own kingdom in opposition to God. That's the common denominator across every every one of our cultures and societies. And the answer to that opposition, the answer to the rebellion that is in us, as we seek greatness, we find that greatness in the word of God, in the gospel of God. Because it is sufficient for us. It's sufficient to draw us into relationship with him. It's sufficient to bring calm in the midst of a storm. It's sufficient to give us everything we need to navigate the troubles of life. For thousands of years, thousands of years now, the Spirit of God has used the Word of God to transform the people of God. And that does not change no matter the culture or no matter the society. It is sufficient. His Word, though, is also life-giving. On top of the seven uh, kind of or distinctions that God, that David lists of uh, the qualities of God's Word, he gives you four benefits from God's Word as well. He says that it renews our life there in verse 7, that it makes the inexperienced wise, so it gives us wisdom. It provides joy. It brings enlightenment. Yes, the world is complicated and navigating it is hard. Yes, the world is broken and living through things and, and experiencing the brokenness and the suffering that we have in this world is difficult, but the word of God brings the life that we need. Last semester, we have been, and we'll continue uh, later on in this year, walking through the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians 2, we learned that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were actually dead until the word of God comes through the gospel, which is revealed to us in the word of God. And the spirit uses that to enliven us to the reality of who God is. It gives life to us. And then as we walk in this world, as we walk this way, we sin which breaks that relationship with God. And we confess our sin because the word reveals it to us. And as we do that, we're restored to the joy of our salvation. It gives us wisdom to understand the best ways to handle what all's going on in our life, to navigate finances that we talked about last week, to understand how do we point our kids in this direction or this direction? No, you're never going to find a, a verse in the Bible that tells you what to do with AI, right? <clears throat> But we are going to find that the Spirit of God indwells us. And in the moments that we need, he's going to give us wisdom. And that in spite of your best efforts, you cannot screw up God's plan. He knows exactly what he is doing. It gives life in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of pain. There is joy 
Because the word of God has told us the end. It is a life-giving well that never runs dry. And that's why I believe the word of God is so desirable. This is what David tells us, that it is desirable. And he uses two different comparisons to show us the desirability of God's word. He opens in verse 10 and says that it is uh, more desirable than gold and the abundance of gold. And he says it's sweeter than honey dripping from a honeycomb. I love that description, right? To me, when I think of that, this is what this is, right? This is the hot now sign at the Krispy Kreme donut that every time you drive by, it doesn't matter if you've just eaten, you're going to pull in, at least I am, you're going to pull in and you're going to stop to get a donut because it's going to melt in your mouth. And when things just melt in your mouth, calories don't count. So, right, like that's what he's talking about, the desirability of these things. Whatever it is for you, that thing that you just crave, he's saying this is the way the word of God works in our lives. This is how wonderful and beautiful it is. And then he says, it's more to be desired than gold, the accumulation of wealth. I loved it last week. If you were here, Gib talked about money, and, and he said that our, our heart desires three specific things. It desires power, freedom, and security. And most of us look to money to give us those things. And, and what David is saying is all, what you're looking for in, in power and in freedom and in security, you're going to find in the word of God. Because it's through the word that we have and understand the power to overcome sin in our life. It's through the word that we understand we've been forgiven and are freed from our sin. And that we are secure in Christ because his sacrifice was sufficient for all of our lives. The word of God is desirable. It is better than those things that we find the most joy in in this life. And the last thing I think that David shows us about the word of God is that it is helpful. In verse 11, he says, your servant in keeping them, your servant is warned by them and in keeping them, there is an abundant reward. The word warns us. The word of God shows us our sin, reveals to us the ways that we might be going astray or the different things that could lead us off of that path. And it's helpful for us to see those things and to understand that we're warned by them because we can tend to forget that God's ways are actually the best ways. Because our society and culture frames it the opposite. Do what you want. It's going to be best for you if you follow your, uh, your dream and do your heart. And the, the word of God says, no, follow God's ways. And God's ways are best simply because we saw it. He created the world. The creator of something always knows the best way that it works. And so when we live according to the ways of God, it's his word helps us see where that is. We're going to live in those things that provide the greatest and the deepest rewards for our life. The word of God is personal, sufficient, life-giving, desirable, and helpful. And the word is all of those things because God is all of those things. He's not just other and good. He is all of those things. Just as the heavens declare the glory of God, the word of God reveals who he is to us. And it was most clearly and greatly revealed to us when the word of God took on flesh and dwelt among us. And when he was here, Jesus, he was personal. He lived in relationship with others. He desired for people to know who he was in the kingdom that he was bringing. He brought and gave life. He brought and gave life as he was here, healing diseases, undoing the brokenness of the world. And through his death and resurrection, he ultimately provided life for us out of the death that sins bring. And his sacrifice is sufficient. He is helpful. If you have walked through pain and suffering, and you walk through it with Christ, you understand, oh, he is so very helpful. 
which is why he is so desirable in our lives. Jesus is the perfect picture of who God is to us because he is the word made flesh. This is what the author of Hebrews meant when he wrote there in Hebrews 1, long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. It is Jesus who clearly reveals to us who God is and what he has done. And do you know where you're going to get to know Jesus? In his word. Through the word of God. And so this is what the word is. This is the way it work. This is the way it is, shows its beauty and its splendor. But then David also turns to how the word actually works in our lives, in our walk with God, if you will. Verse 11, I think, serves as a helpful transition verse. It says that the word of God is helpful for us because it warns us and keeps us where we're needing to go. But then in verse 12, it goes even farther. It tells us that the Bible also reveals our hidden sin. The Bible reveals our hidden sin in our lives. Now, that might not sound very appealing to you. You might think, no, I like it to be hidden. The problem is we forget that sin leads to death and destruction. That's the ultimate end game of sin. And so what the word of God does is it comes and it shines the light on the sins that we are blind to. This is what the letter of 1 John is telling us in the need for our sin to be brought into the light. This is what the author writes. This is the message that we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him, yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus' his son cleanses us from all sin. You want your sin to be revealed by the word of God, because when your sin is revealed, you have the opportunity to repent, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses you from all of your sin. You have the opportunity to be reminded again, And again, that his grace is sufficient. And so it reveals our hidden sin. But then he tells us even more than that, the Bible actually keeps us from sin. David says, moreover, keep your servant from willful sin. Do not let them rule me. How? Because the word of God is in his life. It keeps us from sin. As our minds and our lives are exposed to the word of God, it helps us to not sin. If you grew up in the church and spent a whole lot of time there, I almost guarantee you can finish this verse. It's Psalm 119, 16. I have hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. He even wrote it in the book. If you want to not sin, hide your word or my word in your heart. This is what you see in the life of Jesus when he is led by the Spirit out into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan Every time Satan comes to Jesus and he whispers this lie into his life. Hey, turn, the, turn those stones into bread. It'll be better for you. And Jesus, what does Jesus respond with? Oh no, I know the word of God. I know who he is. I know what's going to happen. I don't have to believe your lies because I know the truth. And again and again, he, he turns the lies of Satan and he says, no, I know the truth. It is hidden in my heart. The word of God, it teaches us and reminds us of his promises. It's the antidote to Satan's lies that would tempt you to think that his ways are better. And this is what the word of God does in our walk. It reveals our hidden sin and it helps keep us from sin. And as we do that, that's why at the end he would say, Oh Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you. Because as the word of God fills us, these are the things that God wants us meditating on. 
This is the beauty of the scriptures. If you spend much time with me talking about spiritual things, it will not take you very long to figure out that I love the Bible. I am in awe of it. And I love it because it shows us who God is. And the longer that I have pastored and the longer that I've been around people, the more I have become convinced that there is nothing that forms us more into the likeness of Christ more than his word. The creation, it does a magnificent job. It does a magnificent job revealing his glory. But it is only the word of God that transforms us from one degree of glory into the next. That's the way the spirit works. And so here's the question as we close out and really the what do you do to get started how does the word work? If you're convinced in the beauty of it and the grandeur of it and how it connects you to God to bring healing to the brokenness, how does it work? Well, I believe it works by meditating on the scriptures. And so as we close, let me give you just, as we think about meditating, let me give you some just real practical steps. If you've never done this or don't really understand what this means, um, right? It's connected to reading the word that's an important piece. So if you have never established the habit of just trying to occasionally get into the word, let me encourage you start there, read the word, but then let's take it a step farther and meditate on it. The reason I think meditation is so key is the best way I've ever heard it explained is like, like making tea. And if you take some hot water and you dunk the tea bag in there once, you're going to get a little bit of flavor, but it's basically going to be like water. You can dunk it a few times over and over again, and you'll get a little bit more and a little bit more. But it isn't until you actually drop the tea bag in there and you let it sit for several minutes before that hot water transforms into tea. Meditation is the word of God being dunked into the hot water of our lives. And as we do it, it transforms us more into the likeness of Christ. And so here's some practical steps just as you think about, let's get started in this. Let's, let's make this a habit. The first thing is this, pick a time and place. Much like prayer, having a specific time and place will make it easier for you to get into the rhythm of reading your word, meditating on it, and it helps you take full advantage of it. So pick a time and place. If you did that when you talked about prayer, I would say just make it the same time and place. We just took out one step for you. Here's the second thing. Decide what to read beforehand. Please don't come to that time and place and then go, okay, what am I going to read today? Because you're going to spend whatever time you set aside, you're going to spend half of it trying to figure out what you're going to read. Decide what you want to read before you get there. I always recommend grabbing a Bible reading plan. There's dozens of them out there. You can Google it. And, and so many of us, if, if you're a type A personality, right, it's got little check boxes and you think, oh, I've got to check all the boxes and there's this many readings in a, in a month. Just get something that tells you what to read. Who cares if you get it done in a month? God's not going to get to the end of all history and go, yeah, you were good, but you didn't check every single box on the reading plan. It's not happening. So, so just decide what to read. I think a reading plan is really helpful. Third one, do it in the morning if possible. Do it in the morning. Setting your mind on the things of God early in the day is so valuable. I would tell you it has the chance to change the trajectory of your day. And, and this is another benefit. A professor of mine said, why should you read your Bible in the morning? He said, because you do very little evil in your sleep. I thought that was pretty, pretty helpful. But here, here's the deal. Some, for some of you, it's just not possible. I know some of you have really early jobs and to wake up an extra 30 minutes early when you're already up, like, I get it. And so maybe the nighttime is the best time for you to do it. If that's the case, let me encourage you to do this. Take three to five minutes in the morning and just look back over what you read the night before. 
so that you can begin to go, okay, what did God reveal out of his word as I meditated on it? Fourth practical step, do it daily. And now if you're just starting out reading and meditating on God's word, that can seem daunting. But start somewhere and, and build up with, with the intention of, I, I want to, to do this every day. Because we need to expose ourselves to the word of God every single day. I love what Dwight Moody, the, the preacher, said when it comes to our need to daily turn to the word of God. He said, a man can no more take in a supply of grace for the future than he can eat enough for the next six months. Or take sufficient air into his lungs at one time to sustain life for a week. We must draw upon God's boundless store of grace from day to day as we need it. The daily rhythm of reading and meditating on God's word exposes more and more his grace in our life. So please do it daily. So here's my challenge to you this week. Let's get started. This week, if you've never done this, if you're a regular part of doing this, I want to encourage you to really incorporate meditation in. But if you've never had a regular habit of reading and meditating on the scriptures, I want you to take four days this week, four days that you're going to commit, pick a time and place, Spend 15 to 20 minutes reading and meditating on God's word. I'm going to even give you what to read. Take the book of Ephesians. We've been in it. We're going back to it. The book of Ephesians has six chapters. Over the four days, read one to two chapters a day. It'll take you about five minutes to read those. And then here's what you do. After you read your chapter, pick one of the four questions you see on the screen. You don't have to do them all. Pick one of the four questions. What does this passage reveal or teach me about the character of God? Grab a pen or a piece of paper, write down some things that you notice. What does this reveal or teach me about the character of man or about the person and work of Christ? Or how does this passage change the way I live today? So one of those questions, take Ephesians chapter one, read it tomorrow morning, and then ask yourself, what does this reveal to me about the character of God? Who is he? Go to the first part of chapter two. What does this reveal to me about the character of man? But then you'll see what it reveals about the person and work of Christ in our lives. And I guarantee you over the course of the week, you're going to find some things that you need to change. You don't have to, again, answer them all. Just answer one because it's going to slow you down to let the word of God steep. And here's what I can almost guarantee will happen. If you read the word and you spend time just meditating, answering, trying to answer one of those questions, I can almost guarantee you, you will find something to pray about. You will find something to adore God for. You will find some way that you need to submit to him through prayer. You will find something you need to confess. You will find some things that you need to petition God or ask God to protect you from. You're going to find those things. I almost guarantee you, you will walk away at least one out of the four days with something to apply to your life that day. This is the way the Spirit works. Slowing down and allowing the Word of God to steep into our lives and watch ourselves be transformed. The Spirit of God uses the Word of God to change the people of God all for the glory of God. And so, God, would you do that in our lives? Show us, O oh God, yourself through your Word. We don't want to come to your Word because we need to check a box. We want to come to your Word because in your Word you are present. You show us more of who you are. You reveal your glory to us, O oh God. And so this week, would you help us to, to be about your word? And would your word fuel our, our life in prayer? Would your word fuel our desire to see um, the gospel go forward in our serving, our giving? 
God, would you keep us from sin? Would you reveal hidden sin? I mean, your word does all of these things. It works. And so let it do its work in us. And would you do it, God? Not so that we can say, look at us. We're really good Bible readers, but so that you would be glorified and we would be transformed. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.